Coming up on this episode of East Screen, West Screen, Kevin's on assignment, so one-time webmaster turned festmeister Tim Youngs joins me as we talk about Richie Wren's directorial debut, All You Need Is Love, and a rare double feature we get to talk about a second film this week and get down and dirty with Lost in Wrestling. This is East Screen, West Screen with Paul and Kevin, where if films were food, they'd be full of it. Hello and welcome to another episode of East Screen, West Screen. This is the show where we talk about films from Hong Kong to Hollywood and lots of stuff in between. I'm your host, Paul Fox. And taking up the audio space of Kevin Ma this week is my good friend, Mr. Tim Youngs. Hi there. How are you doing, Tim? It's been a long time since we've talked. Well, I mean, we talk uh, more frequently face-to-face than we do on the air. Uh, but this is the first chance we've had to have you on since we've kind of come back from our hiatus. So... How's everything? How's how's life in Hong Kong? Uh, it's all all pretty good. Uh, busy, of course, with work, uh, like most people here. Yes. Um, the only big difference, I would say, is that uh, I've become a father since I was last on, on the show. Yes, congratulations. So you've, uh, you've joined you. the ranks of the movie circle here. Um, I think we're, 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 the fathers are starting to slowly outnumber the non-parents of the group so far, so... Uh, no pressure on uh, Kevin and some of those out there, but uh, it is life and it's going on. So, um, yeah, it's it's interesting being a father because your perspective on things like free time completely changes, doesn't it? Oh, totally, totally. Yeah. Uh, it, it's much harder just to arrange anything, really. Yeah, yeah, but it's well worth it. I think. Uh, I think that me and I think uh, Kozo, uh, fellow father in the group, would also agree that uh, it, it really puts puts the importance of some things into a different perspective entirely. Um, yeah, totally. Now, some people may not know, some people are maybe new, newer listeners um, to the program, that you are, in fact, sort of the uh, great-grandfather of us, um, not in terms of uh, bloodlines, but in terms of having a presence about Hong Kong cinema uh, on the web, right? You were the founder of the uh, another Hong Kong movie page, right? Yes, yes, such a terrible title. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, well, it's all quite a while ago now, though. Yeah, this um, was like Web 1.0 stuff, right? Oh, yeah, it was just really clunky HTML. Um, and I think I started that in, I guess, late 97, early 98. Mm. Uh, just reviewing things as I was watching them, mainly, mainly at uh, cinemas in Mongkok. And... Yeah, I kept up with that until uh, I, I'm not sure about the website. Probably about ten years ago, when I just got continually swamped with work and just had to had to slow down. Yeah, and I remember one of the things I really enjoyed about your site was you would often have um, photos of the old marquee sort of hand painted posters for films. Yes, and that's a that's a thing a, a skill that's pretty much just vanished here in Hong Kong. 
Yeah, although, um, and this is going off on a tangent, if you look at uh, Hong Kong Film Archive exhibitions, every now and then they, they clearly tap some of these artists. They're around mm-hmm. and they, they find them and they, they whip up billboards for their displays, which is always a nice surprise when you walk into an exhibition. You, don't, you just don't see that work anywhere yeah. else now. I don't, think that, I don't think anyone's doing it for current films now, right? I mean, that... Has that stopped, or do they still get these guys to do um, no, stuff it, for like Cold War and and you know more contemporary movies? Uh, no, it's all off. I, I, the last people to do it would have been the Sunbeam Theater, and yeah. that I I would say that was probably about ten years ago. Yeah, I, I think uh, it was about five yeah. or six years ago. I I saw a short documentary spot. I want to say on RTHK or something where they were interviewing one of the old uh, painting masters. Who, who used to do this work and him basically saying the same thing that many artisans in Hong Kong say that, you know, the young people just aren't interested. There's no money in it. So a lot of them don't have the, want to take the time to learn it. And, and it also kind of makes sense that it disappeared because uh, we moved to multiplexes and yeah. they just don't have this outdoor banner space where you could paint a billboard yeah. uh, or, or the lobbies, the interior designer just won't allow it. Yeah. Uh, but in the past, of course, people really flocked to those suburban th- cinemas and you, you would walk past the cinema and you'd see this two-story high poster. It was a it was the thing that would draw in the crowds. But yeah. Yeah. that that whole movie going scene just fell apart really. Yeah. I, it would be it would be nice if they could still do that kind of work maybe at the dynasty um, where they still kind of have a up, up on their higher floor they do have kind of a big banner display but um i they yeah. just they just go with sort of the traditional print posters now yeah and again you can kind of understand uh, why would you pay for someone to paint something yeah. and then have so few people actually attend the film yeah, now yeah. but on the flip side though uh, there have been a couple times when i've been to the dynasty and it looks like they've basically taken a tiny jpeg of something and blown it up to tremendous proportions yeah, so that the yeah. resolution is so grainy and so terrible that you can barely make out uh, what, what's going on there. Um, but yeah, it's, it's a shame that, you know, one of the things we touch, we've touched on over the years is a lot of the changes that have happened to this cinema-going experience, both positive and negative over the years. And I know that's one of the things when I first came to Hong Kong in 2000 that was something that I kind of looked forward to. I liked seeing those things, and then it just got to a point where the only place I could see stuff anymore was on your website for a while. Yeah, yeah. So we're going to talk about two films today. First, we're going to be talking about uh, our review of the Richie Wren directorial debut, All You Need Is Love. And then a little bit later, Tim's going to tell us about a film, a smaller film called Lost in Wrestling, which unfortunately, try as I might, I couldn't get out to see. This was another sort of one-week wonder that was, I think it was only playing at one cinema and it, for me, it was kind of uh, out of the way to try and get to. I had planned a screening, and then uh, some extra work came in, and I couldn't make it out to that screening. And then by Thursday of this past week, it was just gone. I didn't see it anywhere. So I'll hold out hope for video, or maybe and, not. And actually, worse still, the film was only on one show per day. Yeah, yeah, it was like a, <laughs> a singular afternoon screening or something like this. Right? Yeah, yeah. It, 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 was, it was appalling. All right, so we're going to talk about all of that and some more. Uh, but yeah, Kevin is on assignment this week, uh, doing, you know, moving and shaking as he tends to do. And so we're not going to have any news proper, but we do want to do a bit of a news update uh, right after this. 
So our news update for this week, if you remembered our last show, Kevin and I sort of got back into our long-standing debate on the value of Netflix and uh, it possibly having it come to a small market like Hong Kong. And literally the day after we recorded uh, the episode, news broke that, yes, indeed, Netflix is coming to Hong Kong. Um, we are expected to get it in early 2016, uh, though I don't have a specific date yet. For me, because as I said last time, I've switched over to using um, a paid VPN service and I've signed up for a paid Netflix account now. So it's a little late um, <laughs> in the arrival. And I don't know if I'll switch over to Hong Kong Netflix now that I'm using an active US Netflix. It's really going to depend a lot on the content. And I've heard from other non-US users that the offshore Netflix offerings can be somewhat limited. And I equate this to the iTunes offerings here in Hong Kong. So the Hong Kong iTunes store is nowhere near as developed and as rich as the U.S. store is. Um, in fact, they have an entire section, that of a television series, which just does not exist in the Hong Kong iTunes store. So uh, for me, it's a question of I'd like to support Hong Kong Netflix, but it's really going to depend on do they have a pretty full and rich library? Can I get access to some of the Netflix-only content that I'm watching now? Things like, you know, Daredevil or um, Longmire. Because that's what really draws me in more so than uh, the old movies. If they have a rich Hong Kong-based library too, that would also be something that strongly appeals to me. Um, Tim, are you considering jumping onto the Netflix wagon? Or what are your thoughts on streaming memberships? Um I, I'm considering it. Uh, the simple reason is because eventually uh, my son is going to start watching children's TV. Mm. And, you know, Hong Kong free-to-air TV is pretty dreadful. And it, it would be a lot better for me to have a subscription service for, you know, TV shows uh, than it would be if I had to buy box sets of DVDs and just clog up more shelf space. I really don't want to go that, go that way. Yeah. Um, so that that's obviously a big appeal to me. Um, if, if the service came along and it offers TV shows, as you say, right now iTunes is a bit of a dud uh, for TV in Hong Kong. Yeah. It just simply isn't any. Yeah, and so uh, you know, as excited as I do want to be about this news, and I and we were kind of uh, joking about this on uh, on the Facebook group last week. Um, I I do think that this is uh, something that potentially everybody can win with but again well it will all come down to the library that's on offer so we'll have to totally. wait and see yeah it, it, it's not just that uh, the the, the library is a big deal but you're also going to have competing services uh because le tv has announced as well pretty much around the same time that, that it was going to start a a streaming service in hong kong yeah this uh, is one this is one where i'm a bit skeptical though um because to date, La TV and PPS have um, actually blocked Hong Kong users. They didn't at first. When the app first came out, um, I was using it somewhat regularly, me and my wife. And then one day I went to use it and it's like, sorry, your region cannot access this content. And um, some people told me that there were workarounds and, you know, uh, add-ons and extensions you could buy if you were watching on your computer. But that's all a little bit more effort than I, I kind of wanted to make for um, the service. Do you do you think you would be someone to look to La TV as a as an option? Probably not. I mean, the the, the big news, or I'm not sure if it's actually confirmed, but the big news has been that they bought the rights to the English Premier League, 
for Hong mm. Kong. Mm. And, you know, so if that's true, then they're really making a serious, serious go for, for Hong Kong. Yeah. Uh, what other content they would have, I have no idea, but it would possibly limit things if you had two rival uh, services starting up at the same time in, yeah. in, in Hong Kong. It'll be interesting, too, to see what they do in terms of um, language options, because currently La TV is only, uh, the app is only offered in simplified Chinese, I believe. Um, so I, I, it'll, be, it'll be interesting to see if they expect to try and attract some of the, um, you know, a larger audience with offering either traditional Chinese or English as, you know, menu options. And then even with Netflix, I'll be curious to see what the kind of subtitling options are for a lot of stuff. And this is why I think the library may be somewhat limited at first, because with iTunes, a lot of the stuff, but not everything, but pretty much all the new stuff that comes up has uh, either Chinese or Cantonese uh, subtitle options for yeah. the films. So with a extensive Netflix library, and even with some of the new stuff like... Um, you know, the, the uh, Daredevil series or um, a Longmire series, they're going to need to be paying people to per potentially subtitle that stuff in Chinese, um, whereas currently they're not doing that. You know, that, that's not an option. You can get uh, English subtitles um, on U U.S. Netflix for most shows, but um, it's not, I, I don't think that's a department that's um, currently in practice, you know, the Chinese language subtitling department, so. no. Maybe that's a potential job for somebody out there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> all right. Well, we'll, we'll, we will definitely keep you all appraised of the Netflix situation. I'm sure that this is going to be something that Kevin and I uh, come back and talk about once it does roll out here, and we'll let you guys know what we think of it once that comes to pass. All right, let's take a short musical break, and we'll come back to talk about our first film this week, All You Need Is Love. Our film this week, the directorial debut of sorts from actor uh, Richie Wren, who's also listed as the uh, scriptwriter for the film. And he's, I guess, technically he's the co-director um, because uh, also on the directing bill for this is director Andy Lowe, who um, has one other film, I guess, as a directorial credit, the 2012 film Bang Bang Formosa, kind of a action, crazy action comedy. So All You Need Is Love, no relation to the Beatles song, and let me say up front that uh, they do not get the rights to the Beatles song, so you don't actually hear that song anywhere throughout uh, the film, uh, thankfully. And Although, I guess if you're a Beatles fan, you'd maybe be looking forward to it. But So the film, the basic synopsis, a well-to-do writer heads to the coastal town of ta ta the Taiwan islands of Penghu for both inspiration and to reconnect with her childhood memories. Uh, her name is um, 
uh, Ye Fan Fan, played by Xu Qi. Her hopes of staying at a luxury beach house are dashed when she finds out that she's actually booked herself into a rustic-style family-run B&B. But as she warms both to the manager of the B&B and his family, she finds that her affections for him and his beach house may be growing into something more than she expected. Um, so this is a pretty straightforward uh, romantic comedy, we would say. It, it hits many traditional romantic comedy beats. Richie Wren plays the character Awu, and he's somewhat of a bumpkin-esque kind of character. He wears a farmer hat, and he wears overalls in uh, a bit of the movie. But at the same time, he's kind of a, kind of like a, a water bum. He goes scuba diving at times. So he's a pretty kind of quirky, interesting character. Um, Xu, Xu Qi plays uh, Ye Fan Fan. Um, she's originally from Shanxi in China, and she's traveled here to, in part, connect with her uh, nostalgia for her for her family. Uh, her parents have passed away, and she's now kind of overseen by her aunt and uncle, and who are basically her godparents now. And she's trying to get away from them and get out from under their thumb a little bit. And so immediately, these two characters come off as rubbing each other the wrong way. And that pretty much sets the chemistry um, through the film. So with this, I think the chemistry of the duo was really quite strong, and I was surprised that it worked for me. And maybe this carries over a little bit from Ren's role as the director or co-director here. Typically as a leading man, um, he's not somebody that's always worked for me. And I would point to films like uh, Contract Lover, from director Alfred Chung back in 2007, where he was opposite uh, Fan Bingbing. Um, Xu Qi, on the other hand, I tend to like more often than not, and I'd say in this film she's really on. Um, she starts out as kind of a snobbish character, but um, she gets pretty charming fairly quickly. One thing that really stuck out for me in this film was she has a lot of these facial expressions for various moods and moments that pop up that are just, they really worked for me. They're really cute, they're really charming. And it looks like she's given quite a bit of freedom to play. At least that's my take. I mean, it could be that this is, um, you know, Richie Wren coming in and giving her direction. Um, but things I've read elsewhere kind of hint to the fact that um, she was given a little bit of flexibility and freedom. And it really works for me. She, it, it's really funny at times, and I think she's cute and charming. And that comes across uh, well, at least for me. Um, Tim, what were your thoughts on the sort of chemistry, the the dynamic romance that builds between these two characters? Uh, at the start, I found uh, Shuki's uh, role was a bit too extreme. Mm -hmm. uh, she's really, really obnoxious at the start, uh, which uh, I think was pushing things a bit too far because later they really do connect. Like you say, they really connect well. Yeah. And, and so that really creates quite a stretch. In, in in the story for me um after she cools down a bit and uh, you know becomes a more relaxed figure in the film and, oh yeah i i really enjoyed watching you know her perform and and watching her with richie richie was fantastic in this film yeah they, they i'd agree that at the start they really kind of push the pampered princess uh kind of snobby behavior at the start and i guess that's again to sort of set up the this binary between her and Richie Wren's sort of, uh, you know, Farmer Brown kind of uh, character and, and attitude, and then having, you know, the two of them uh, come together over time. 
which I mean, just by going into this film is, as I said, it's it's nothing in terms of a revelation for romantic storytelling. It hits all the beats you expect. There's a, you know, there's a chase towards the end. You know, rushing to the airport, all this kind of stuff that that we've seen before. But I really think it's carried through well. Um, surprisingly well, in fact, with the chemistry between the two, because I was not expecting um, to feel as strongly as I did about them as a couple, simply because of the history that I've seen with Ren in sort of the leading man role um, in romantic mm. comedies in the past. He just seemed so much more laid back in this film, and yeah. obviously part of it was you know the environment. It's, it's a it's a beach film. It's a beach resort type film. Yeah. But his style was just really consistent through the film and, mm. and uh, very likable. And which is also, I mean, given that this is credited as a directorial debut, debut, it's hard to pick up how much was on his shoulders versus how much was on uh, Andy Lowe's shoulders. But I'm guessing that, you know, he had considerable say. I mean, he's got the star power, too. And um, I'm guessing that he called quite a bit of the shots and the fact that so he's doing this, he's doing the writing for this. Um, and also uh, at being the leading man, he pretty much carried off uh, all three roles fairly credibly, I'd say. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. We also get a number of cameos. So this is mostly a Taiwanese cast, uh, but we have the notable appearance of Dick Long as Awu's father, um, who's referred to as the, the grandpa because... Uh, uh, Richie Wren's character has a sort of an adopted daughter, and uh, so he's kind of like the grumpy old grandpa now. It's you know it's so interesting to to see these veteran Hong Kong actors um, show up in these grandfatherly roles. You know, I'm so used to watching them in the old Shaw, you know, kung fu era movies of of uh, the '70s, and then later the gunplay movies of the '80s and '90s. And, you know, now they've just kind of progressed to this next stage. But uh, he brings some fun and, and, and some some very comedic moments to the role. It's always a delight to see him kind of stretching off and doing something different. We also have um, a couple other cameos people might recognize. Uh, Lin Mei Xu from films like My Geeky Nerdy Buddies and The Crossing film Part 1 and 2. Um, Ju Kong has a comedic turn as... Um, He's the village head, um, but he seemed to have a very close relationship with Awu and his family. I, although, I, were they cousins or were they, they weren't brothers, were, was there, but there, was there a direct relation there or were they just really close may have, friends? May have been cousins. Yeah. Um, I, if, they, if they defined that relationship, I, I missed it, but it seemed like they were really, really close. Um, so, yeah, a, a pretty good uh, cameo cast. They do try and go for... A lot of quirky beats um, with the supporting cast of these villagers. Some work, um, some don't work. We've seen them do this in films before with um, films like Cape Number no. 7. And sometimes it comes across as a bit too forced. They have this whole routine with a mosquito song. And uh, the village head's kind of like wearing this mosquito costume. And I guess it's a real famous song of some sort. Um, but I think, uh, for some of the audience, it's, it's a bit of a head scratcher. Um, so the forced quirkiness doesn't always come across as well as has been tried in, in other films, perhaps. Uh, there are a number of subplots too. Um, Shu Chi's characters on the run, as I said, from her controlling godparents, they bring in sort of in the middle part. And this part kind of felt like filler to me a little bit. 
um, but this bachelor style dating reality show. And uh, the, the, the rationale for this is that uh, something's happened and the beach is, you know, going to be bought up by this big uh, corporate entity. And so they're trying to, I guess, raise money and raise awareness. And so they bring in this reality show as one of these attempts. And with that comes these this group of pseudo models who are competing on the the dating show and Richie Wren sort of gets sucked in as one of the contestants. Um, and this throws in a little bit of romantic tension for um, Shuchi kind of watching on from the outside. And in addition to that, um, uh, you've got the the setting, right? As, uh, as Tim was mentioning, it's a beautiful setting. They do have some very nice shots, although it, the, the cinematography itself wasn't always as spectacular as I might have thought for a film like this. Um, a lot of what takes place does take place in the beachfront house. The house is rustic. It's got character. I, I'm imagining this is a, a real place that they found to, to film at rather than a set that was constructed. I, I'm not so sure about that. You don't think so? You think it was a, no, you think no, it was constructed? Because... I think so because it's it's sitting on the sand and mm. it, it it's a wooden house about like less than ten meters from the shore, mm. which doesn't seem like a very safe idea to me. Yeah, that's true. Perhaps it'll just float out to sea after filming. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, wouldn't, but the house wouldn't, does... wouldn't, it wouldn't be fun in a typhoon. Yeah, no, definitely not. Um, the the house does have some character, and they did have a storm scene, as I remember, and they, they kind of showed a shot of this dock out in front of the house that was just getting battered by yeah. uh, by waves um but the house does have it's it's an interesting house it, it has some character and um if you pay attention if you, you know if somebody who pays attention to detail um you know little rustic bits and pieces you can pick up by looking at some of the setting on the walls and things so nice nice art direction though i felt that the the, the landscape and seascape cinematography could they could have spent a bit more time maybe shown us a little bit more of that. Yeah, um, you never actually really see the house in its setting. There, yeah. there are no really wide shots of yeah. that beach. Yeah. And so you never get a feel for it. I mean, is it is it really secluded? Like like they say, you, ne you never really get those shots that mm -hmm. you, you really want to see yeah. of, of the area. And for the uh, Richie Wren film, of course, music uh, has to play a big part. Um, there are a number of songs, many sung by... Ren himself. I've read too that uh, Shuchi actually does a chorus for a couple of the songs. Um, for the average mo moviegoer, though, somebody who's maybe not a fan of Richie Ren songs, they, you may find that there's one too many MTV moments, perhaps. Um, I didn't find the soundtrack overall to be entirely memorable, but it wasn't uh, overly distracting either. So um, it's it's pretty palatable uh, throughout. It's not overly sappy. Um, as some rom romantic comedies tend to be when they throw in these MTV moments. I guess that many, too, would look to compare this film with um, Richie's film with Sammy back in 2000, Summer Holiday. Um, I think that's a film that uh, kind of really helped put Richie on the scene. That film made a lot of money uh, for the day. It was a pretty big hit, especially in comparison with uh, a similar film that he did a couple years later with, um, I think, Candy Lowe. Um, which did not do anywhere near as well. Arguably, that film, even though it's a Jingle Ma film, is maybe a better film um, in terms of uh, some of the story beats and things. That one set, if I remember correctly, is set in Malaysia. 
um, whereas this one's off the coast of Taiwan. But really, if we jump to Jingle Ma's most recent rom-com, um, Love You, You, back in 2011, this mm -hmm. film is definitely far more fun, far more coherent. Um, but it's a point of interest to consider, too. I mean, Richie's now 15 years older. He's, you know, playing, you know, an, an, an older leading man. Xu Qi, also not uh, the young, you know, model that she once was, but still very capable of these kind of roles. And you compare them with the Love You You uh, leads of Angela Baby and Eddie Peng, both people who draw in the young audiences, right? Um, so arguably, Richie's here now trying to go for the kind of the same core audience, I guess, um, when he was younger, you know, that he's still appealing to them on, on, on a certain level. And uh, for, for that, you know, for that combination, I, again, I think as a, as a more mature kind of rom-com, this works, at least for me, very well. But again, I'm an old man, so uh, that's my age speaking. Uh, Tim, any final it's thoughts actually, on this? Well, it's actually quite nice that you're getting a film aid, aimed for people who are a bit older yeah. um, for a change. It, 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 it's, it's a good uh, change of gear. Uh, mm. For some some people, the only problem is, of course, that the older audience has kind of moved away from the cinema. Yes, yeah, that's true. It really, I mean, um, if you go to the cinema anymore, it, it's it's a much younger audience, unless you go to the first show. Yeah, because yeah. then you've got the senior discount, and uh, that's usually <laughs> the one I'm in. Although I don't get the senior discount yet, so I'm still a, a year, a few years off from that. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, I mean the final thoughts I'd say. Uh, if you are a fan of either of these actors, you'll probably uh, enjoy the film here. Again, a lot of traditional story beats that you've seen done elsewhere, but their chemistry kind of pulls it off and, and makes it work well. So uh, give it a shot when it comes your way. East Green, West Green. Let us now turn to our second film. It's been a long time since we've had a double feature on the show. And as I said earlier, unfortunately, I did not make it out to this film, uh, but uh, Tim uh, was actually able to get out to the screening, and that is the film Lost in Wrestling. So, Tim, can you give us a story synopsis? I read the blurb on this when it was actually in the cinema, something about, like, Mongolian wrestling turned mud wrestling? Well, that, that's, the mud wrestling thing is, is not a really big selling point. Uh, but the, the film is known as, uh, under possibly two titles now, uh, Lost in Wrestling and 3D Lost in Wrestling. Um, the plot synopsis, I guess you could summarize it as simply a female wrestler from Inner Mongolia goes to Osaka to join a wrestling competition. And the experience ultimately shows what home, that home is where the heart is. I mean, that that's essentially it in a nutshell but the thing is that the film is way more complicated uh than that way more complicated than it needs to be um when when the film starts it, it actually cuts between uh inner mongolia and and japan and so you have scenes of a woman uh named naran who's uh played by jiao ke uh wrestling on the on the prairies in inner mongolia and these scenes are intercut with shots of sumo wrestling and around this point we see that she's you know quite a, a an awesome fighter and over in japan we see that uh one of, we find out that one of those sumo wrestlers is a mongolian and he uh is booted out of the sumo scene because he shows some kind of mongolian style pride when he wins and and that's a big no-no 
so this is like a little preamble. Um, uh, we then learn that the um, this guy has lost weight, and that's it. And so the, the this Mongolian uh, sumo wrestler kind of vanishes. We just know that he has lost weight. Uh, at this point, we start to finally see a plot develop. Uh, we meet a guy in Osaka called Boss. And Boss works at a place called Boss's Penthouse. Uh, he runs a club, a kind of fight club for women. And, and the big attraction at his club is called Friday Night Women Fight. And it's basically a large event where uh, dozens of women will jump up onto a stage and have this kind of half-hearted catfight. And he obviously wants to spice things up. So he has decided that he's going to have this major three-on-three women wrestling match. And, and he's heard that uh, Inner Mongolia has you know, great fighters. So he invites a wrestler from there. The invitation uh, reaches Naren in Inner Mongolia, and she decides that she's going to leave the grassland. And before she goes, she goes to the old lady in her village uh, called uh, Sister Gold Moon. And this is this woman is played by uh, Sikingawa, quite a you know a respected actress. Um, and Sister Gold Moon tells her that she needs to look up some Inner Mongolians in Japan, some people who have left the prairies and possibly gone astray. Uh, the first of these people is Granny Yunyang, who is played by Cheng Pei Pei, another veteran. Um, and the other is uh, Gold Moon's missing grandson. Uh, and this is a guy that uh, Naren used to wrestle with as, as a kid. Uh, so anyway, Naren goes over to Osaka and uh, you know, she manages to reunite with uh, uh, Yun Yang uh, and also uh, a young man who's the assistant. Uh, no word on who Chin Ha Si, the uh, missing grandson, is at this point, but you know, I think we'll guess. Um, anyway, uh, as, as she arrives, uh, uh, Runan, the William Chan character, uh, decides to leave Osaka and go to, Japan, go to Hong Kong, because in Hong Kong, you get knives sharpened. We, we don't know why you have to go to Hong Kong to sharpen knives, but he does. And uh, when he's uh, in Hong Kong, he decides that he's going to jump ship and he's going to become a knife sharpener's uh, apprentice. Uh, that idea fails really quickly. He goes back to Japan and uh, then he starts to hang out with Naren. Now, at this point, Naren has become partners with two other wrestlers to make up a team. Uh, one of them is a Hong Kong girl who uh, happens to be related to the uh, knife sharpener in Hong Kong. Uh, this is a bit of a coincidence. And the other is this Japanese girl who's had some kind of breakup issue. Um, anyway, um, Naren is the, the star, is the star wrestler of uh, this big uh, fight competition that's going to come up. And she's being billed as the queen of combat. And... Uh, also, uh, she has come to realize that Boss, the, the, this uh, shady character that's running the whole show, is a bit of a bastard. Uh, Boss hides his face uh, behind a, a clown mask and uh, face paint. And you know, he's, a, he's a mysterious character. Um, anyway, uh, as things are starting to get a bit dark, the fight looms large. And um, I'll stop there. <laughs> with the plot uh, it, look it, it, this is already a bit of a mess to go through the synopsis and there's so much more uh, than it at this point i mean uh, we are 
you know, expecting some big reveal on the identity of the the, the wrestler who lost weight. That, that has been pretty much announced to us within the first five minutes of the film. Uh, there's another character, uh, which I haven't mentioned, this guy that makes egg tarts in Hong Kong. And that's uh, at, uh, Lao Dan, uh, another veteran actor. And, uh, you know, what he does, it's all terribly meaningful. Um, <laughs> now... Uh, the, the, at this point, you know, the big deal is there's going to be the fight. And, and you've seen the poster, I guess, right? Yeah, it's like two women in the mud, right? Yeah, hey, hey, and it's blue mud. It's not even, you know, ordinary mud. This is kind of lurid. But um, actually, you know, the, the, that, that mud wrestling thing is indeed part of the big fight. But uh, the, 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 that mud wrestling match runs for about 10, 20 seconds, and then it's actually cut short. It's called off. And, you know, that's just one part of the big competition. And that kind of is what the film is like when it comes to action. You know, you start to get some promise of action and it just kind of falls apart, really, or it just stops or, or it's just really brief and weak. And the other thing is that the actors in all of these scenes just look like they aren't trained up for fighting. Hmm. And that, that's pretty poor, uh, especially when your film's main draw card is, uh, whether it's in the title of the film or on the poster, is wrestling. Um, the action choreography is, is credited to Dion Lam. And, you know, he is a, a competent person when it comes to this. You know, he's worked on films like Red Cliff, Inter Infernal Affairs, The Storm Riders, you know, good, good stuff. Hmm. So you, coming into this, it's obviously a disappointment. Um, there are so many other things wrong with this film, and I, I, I won't go into too many of them, but you know, I can list out some of the, the, the biggies. Uh, one is 3D. Like, the film is... Uh, the, the big, one of the big gimmicks of the film is that it's a 3D film. Now, it wasn't released in 3D in Hong Kong. I think if they did that, almost nobody would have bought a ticket. Mm. Um, and as I was watching the film in 2D, I, I rarely saw anything that screamed 3d to me uh there are two points one is when boss uh kind of uses some force from his fingers to shoot um to shoot william chan in the back and at another point uh the prize of the big wrestling match kind of floats in the air for no for no reason at all just just floats in the air as and, one does, and, right? <laughs> as it does, no, no one asks. Like, uh, duh, why is why is the prize belt floating? Um, so, uh, those were pretty much, I would say, the three D shots. Uh, but the rest of the film was clearly like not staged for three D. Uh, in so many scenes, people are just sitting around talking. Uh, people that are standing out on the planes will stand in a line facing the camera as they talk to each other, kind of like how people, you know are arranged on TV shows and on TVB. Hmm. And, you know, that doesn't lend itself to, to 3D, obviously. Uh, the scenes of the grassland are beautiful, of course, because, you know, the scenery is just magnificent. But again, you don't really need 3D for scenes of grassy plains. Um, so that's just really weird. Uh, and... The film itself is, is obviously a low-budget film. Uh, apparently, it was the production cost was 15 million Hong Kong dollars, which is about 2 million uh, US dollars. Uh, so, you know, you're not obviously going to expect much uh, in terms of this type of, you know, 3D production standards, I guess. 
but uh, still, it's a, it's 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 a bit odd. It's a bit off. So a couple questions pop in my mind here. Yeah. Because um, yeah. we the so the Hong Kong poster, if listeners get a chance to see it, was not a very interesting poster to look at. It's like one girl on top of another, basically in the mud. And the poster is kind of very dark and black. If you go over to the Hong Kong movie database, they have a different poster, which I'm guessing maybe the Taiwan poster or something. It's got traditional Chinese on it. I don't think it was the mainland poster, but um, it's a different poster. It's got a lot more color, but it does show three of, I guess, ladies. Maybe they show up in the film and they're kind of wearing what looks like uh, co- costumes that you see in, a, in like a masquerade ball. Um, yeah. Is this what they wrestle in? So this is not like Olympic style wrestling. It's not mud wrestling. It's more like WWF wrestling or. What? It, it, it is a kind of fancy costume wrestling mm. in the tournament, not on the regular women fight night thing. Um, but on, on in the, in the tournament. Yeah. They're, they're dressed up in these, uh, you know, fancy, fancy, uh, costumes. Uh, I don't know if, it, if it's if, if it's an Osaka thing, but uh, this was covered in another Hong Kong uh, film years ago called yeah. Osaka, Osaka Rest- Wrestling Restaurant or something. That's the one. That's yeah. the one. And, and and in that film, you had a very similar get-up for for people who were fighting. So I, I don't know if it's supposed to be a regional thing uh, for because again, this film is set in Osaka as well. Yeah. Uh, and so yeah. you have you have Mongolian inner Mongolians. You have them migrating to Japan, you have some Hong Kong things going on. What language is going on in terms of the, the sound? Is it uh, sync sound or is it all dub overdubbed? It's, it's appalling. <laughs> so so in, in Mongolia, people speak either really badly dubbed Cantonese or they speak the local language. And there's no real reason for this, uh, but that's just how it goes. And in Japan, uh, people speak um, speak Japanese, but a lot of them understand Cantonese and speak it with uh, dubbed Cantonese, uh, which is all very nice. Um, and in Hong Kong, it is basically Cantonese. Um, the, the 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 language mix doesn't really sit right. It doesn't often it doesn't make any sense and and the whole dubbing routine in the film is just so half-hearted it's, it's really astonishing uh one of one of the the most jarring things apart from inappropriate dubbing just in conversation is when you have boss on the stage of his fight club uh with the sound of his voice as if it's going through a megaphone but not a microphone in sight hmm. just just really careless really careless and so the overall th- the overall sort of tone of this film, as opposed to um, uh, Osaka Wrestling Restaurant, which was kind of a, I mean, it wasn't taking the wrestling very seriously. It was kind of a cheesy comedy at times. Um, you know, La Kai Ying, I think, was in that movie as a as one of the antagonists, if I remember correctly. Um, uh, Timmy Hong, Sammo Hong's son, was like the, the main character. This is this. Is this trying to be a cheesy comedy? Or is it really trying to be more of a serious look at wrestling? It's kind of trying to be quite serious, and and more importantly, it's trying to be meaningful. It's trying to you know tell you this message of you know home being you know where the heart is, like I, I mentioned before. Mm. It, it, you're supposed to see people who have moved away from 
you know, their home. Even in Hong Kong, you have Inner Mongolians. And uh, you see them, you know, kind of realizing that things are better for them on the plains and so forth. And there, there are also things about, you know, relationships. The Japanese fighter, for example, has some kind of issue uh, with people around her uh, and also um, mother issues as well that are hinted at. And this is all done with a straight face. Mm. Uh, and and there's no real sense of fun in the action choreography either, really, to, to me anyway. It's and just So for some of the veteran, the veteran actresses that you mentioned, like Cheng Pei Pei, um, are they given just, is it like a one scene role or do they have uh, substantial uh you know uh, it, presence it, it's pretty substantial mm. but they're just let down because what's going on around them is just so poorly made uh whether it's uh, writing that's just a muddle or or just forced or whether it just you just have clumsy editing uh it, it, it kind of hurts everyone in the film. There are a lot of really good veterans in the film. Mm. Uh, Sikingawa is, you know, a, a, a great actress. Uh, but you wouldn't really feel it here because her character is shackled with this really, really bad dubbing. Mm. Uh, Cheng Pei Pei is just in, has her scenes mostly in this reflexology shot that is just so bland. It's like they made no effort on art direction. And the scenes don't really have any zing to them. Mm. And same thing in Hong Kong, you have Lao Xiuming and Lao Dan and nothing really nothing really resonates there because their their script is poor. I'm pretty much down on this film, unfortunately. <laughs> yeah. It uh it doesn't sound like one that you'll need to rush out and watch, but perhaps if you have some time and you can pick up Osaka Wrestling Restaurant, you can uh, do both as sort of a an afternoon uh, double feature of uh, that. That, wa- that wasn't a great film, but <laughs> I, I will say that I did enjoy it more than this one. Indeed. All right. So thank you, Tim, for giving us the update on Lost in Wrestling. You're listening to the East Screen West Screen podcast. Visit Kongcast.com for more. have been listening to the Screen West Screen podcast. Our theme music was composed by Rob Gubber of the Schnauzer Radio Orchestra. Research came from a variety of sources, but primarily lovehkfilm.com and the Hong Kong Movie Database, uh, and a tremendous amount of moral support, of course, from listeners like you. If you would like to be part of the show, you can get in touch with us via the website at concast.com or on Twitter, twitter.com slash concast. You can email us at eastscreen at gmail.com. And you can also check us out over on Facebook at East S West S. So drop us a line. Let us know your thoughts on any of these films. Uh, tell us we're crazy in our reviews. Whatever you'd like to say, we'd be happy to hear from you. Um, of course, I do urge you to try to follow along with Kevin, what Kevin is doing over at his work. Um, you can check him out over at Film Biz Asia and over on Twitter at The Golden Rock. Uh, big thanks to Tim for coming in and... Uh, talking about both these films with us. Uh, Tim, now, as we said at the start, your old site is is not up anymore, right? So No, no, no. Yeah. My, my web presence has pretty much vanished. I, I, I 
like <laughs> tend not to do that much. I, I'm still pretty much on email and, and and the like, but I've never really taken to social media. Yeah, but you do yeah. you do still write. You um, are active in um, you know writing for <laughs> festival magazines and and the like, right? So I'm still uh, working with Far East Film Festival in in Italy, and so I write for them. That that's pretty much a, well, that is a a, a once a year thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, that that's when I do the bulk of my writing actually on Hong Kong film now. Yeah. So if you are, uh, you know, a festival goer or if you plan to be a festival goer in the future, do check out uh, the Udine Film Festival and you can see some of Tim's writing there, right? So keep up with what he's doing. Next episode looks like we're going to be talking about a Steffi movie, Guia in Love, and uh, that will be slated for episode 175, uh, if I can actually get out to it, uh, which looks like it might happen. I'm just not sure when at this point. All of that and more on our next show. Until then, this is the East Screen, West Screen podcast saying we wish you good viewing, as always, and we'll see you next time. See you around. Uh.